Hello and welcome to Subdurps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I'm your co-host, Buddy. And this week we're going to talk a little bit about Gen Con. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, we like to uh, talk about games. Yeah, this week we're going to talk about Gen Con. Uh, we actually may have promised, I don't actually know that we did promise this on the cast, that we would do uh, we would do a cast from Gen Con itself. That was the plan. That was our intention, definitely. Didn't quite materialize. Too busy playing games. Yeah, I mean, yeah, too busy uh, conning, conning our gens. Yeah. Um, but, uh... I'm discussing but, uh, moral implications <laughs> of uh, cheating, right? Yeah, oh yeah, we did, yeah, yeah, that was one of my old... Uh, I'm sure any of my RA friends that are listening to this know exactly what we're talking about. But um, anyway, we uh, we uh, went to Gen Con last week. Gen Con is the premier um, convention for role-playing games, right? Like tabletop role-playing games, like Pathfinder, board games, right? Card games. Honestly, it's just it's just filled of this stuff. There's definitely a presence for video games, but I didn't. I wouldn't quite say yeah. it's all that developed. You know, this isn't. We're not talking about like packs, right? Um, even though you know there was a big giant room dedicated to playing League and Hearthstone, uh, and you know, kind of whatever else. If you wanted to pay eight bucks an hour, yeah. You know, it's actually kind of funny. Apparently, computer games have been in it since like year one. Um, and I guess it's always, I guess, not really been about that, but the fact that it's been there for forever is uh, is kind of interesting to me, um, which probably makes it one of the first video game conventions in that kind of regard. Um, yeah, I actually, you know, didn't honestly know all that much about Gen Con until I guess last year. Um, full disclosure: last year uh, we like had made plans to go, but I just didn't get my act together quickly enough. So I didn't go personally. <laughs> yeah, I, I went. It was that was the first year I went, and then you know me and uh, and popular guest star Mark um, were uh, went and we came back. We were like, "This is so great! You all have to go." So a bunch of us went this year. I think everybody had a, a great time. Before we dig into that, did we want to talk a little bit about um, our weeks? I think the only thing to really talk about would be the new WoW patch. Um, that is true. The new WoW patch did drop. Uh, it included Demon Hunters and the Broken Shore. Uh, I, I mean, I, I imagine that we're going to want to talk about a little bit of spoilers, so here's a quick spoiler. Beep, 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 beep. Spoiler warning. Oh my god, don't. Spoiler, spoilers for Legion. I'm sure you guys, uh, I'm sure you guys get the picture. Um, yeah, uh, so yeah, the Broken Shore dropped. A bunch of people died. Like, major, major lore characters. Uh, we're, you know, the demon hunters are now back in, you know, back in action in Azeroth. Uh, I don't know. How did, how did, how do you feel? How do you, uh, so, um, I, I said this earlier, um, but the invasions themselves, I think are some of the most fun I've had in WoW in a long time, just kind of like, or like it felt the most epic. Um, yesterday I was on and two, uh, two things spawned in the Eastern kingdoms, two invasions. And I, I was in Ogrimmar, and there was like a dozen, two dozen people on the on the airship to Lordgeron, which is where the first one was. So we all got on, we all jumped off and tackled that one, and then uh, then there were, the other one was in Dunmoreau, and it was just really cool to see like thirty people all flying simultaneously across the continent to Dunmoreau, um, kind of like in a straight line, just this like pack of like weird di- different flying mounts just being like we need to kill some freaking demons. Right. I thought that was awesome. I thought the, uh, I thought the broken shore, um, the broken shore scenario was cool. Um, 
hit a lot of good beats, had a lot of emotion in it, had a lot of significant character deaths. Um, and it, the only thing criticism I have of that is it has a couple of fridge moments where I'm thinking about it after the fact. I'm like, huh, well, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you give your impressions before I dive too deep into that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I have to say I've been playing WoW for a long time, right? I played during Vanilla, uh, where I didn't even know. I guess they had that the like the intro cutscene, but I don't know that I actually think there I, there was another cutscene in Vanilla WoW offhand. Um, I played. Uh, I did not play Burning Crusade. Burning Crusade is the only like current expansion I never played when that was current content. Um, and then I and then I really hardcore got back into the game for Wrath of the Lich King. I stayed through Cataclysm, right? And I've kind of been bouncing back in. I've played every expansion. Um, for its like while while it was current, and I kind of have to say that this is probably the best pre-expansion content, like lead up, um, that I've had that I've had. Uh, you kind of get pieces of this with like the Cataclysm lead up, uh, because there were just like random elementals spawning all over Azeroth, um, but they weren't quite as you know. That, that, that was kind of before they really had, like, the technology to do, like, these, you know, like, phase fights, right, where different phases of Legion demons are coming out and they're modifying the minimap, like, all that kind of stuff. Um, that, I, that technology just wasn't there, so it was mostly just fight a bunch of, you know, elementals until they stop spawning, right? Um, whereas these invasions are like, okay, first you have to kill a bunch of demons, then you have to go stop their crystals from generating whatever, then, you know, big boss demons show up and you have to fight those guys, then you have to run all around the map and go, you know, kill different kinds, you know, like all that kind of stuff, I think, I think works pretty well, uh, compared to what it, what it was like for Cataclysm. Um, at the same time, I also think that it's borrowing from the lead up to Mr. Pandaria, which was... You know, there was this scenario um, where Garrosh uses the mana bomb to blow up Theramore. Uh, and uh, that scenario, while really cool conceptually, was exceedingly uninteresting to actually play. Because it kind of played like, you know, one of the old dungeons where lore wasn't really a priority and nobody was kind of thinking about it. Um, as compared to, like, a device to deliver you know, to deliver this story, right? Um, and the way that you really got that story was by reading one of the tie-in novels, which I obviously did because I'm a gigantic nerd for this stuff, um, rather than actually playing the game. Whereas this this version, right, when you're, when you're running up the broken shore with, right, all of these faction leaders and doing all this kind of stuff, you really feel in the moment. And, uh, and those cinematics themselves are, are very good at, at kind of pulling you... Um, into the situation, so I think that this is the 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 best the best version that WoW has put out yet, though it is not itself perfect. Yeah. Um. Did you do, do you have anything that you wanted to point out that was particularly imperfect? Uh, I do want to point out some things, but there are also things that you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so I'll 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 go with my biggest thing. Was like, so there, there's this big plot point where um, it looks to the alliance like the horde retreats from the battle. Um, this um, and this causes the battle to ultimately be lost. Um, it causes uh, Varian to die, um, um, and Tyrion has already died by this point. But um, 
what's what's the way I want to put it? Um, so this 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 thing is what renews the Horde Alliance conflict for the new expansion, right? Every the Alliance think the Horde the Horde has retreated, um, and the Horde has retreated, um, but it seems like they're just kind of abandoning them, and everybody hates everybody again. Now, what happens on the Horde side is that Vulcan gets stabbed by some Mook, um, and he's dying, and he says the Horde cannot fall, and Sylvanas calls in her her Valkyrie friends, and they save a lot of the Horde people, and that's the retreat. Now, the thing that really kind of stuck out at me is, you know, as you're approaching this point, um, you see Tyrion fall, um, and then the Alliance swings around to go confront Gul'dan, and I guess the Horde kind of swings around to, like, flank, and they get up on this ridge, and there's another army coming in, and Vol'jin says, we need to hold this ridge no matter the cost. And then <laughs> literally five minutes later, he gets stabbed and essentially goes, the cost is too high. We need to get out of here now. It's just like <laughs> literally yeah. every time, guys. And that, that was a bit of kind of like fridge logic. Um, yeah. yeah. I would like, say uh, comparatively. It's one of those things where, right. you know, it's one of those things where it worked in the, in the moment itself, right? It really worked for me. I was, I, I, I was on board essentially. Um, but what ended up uh, – uh, but I also kind of think that, you know, to a certain extent, I think that's a little unfair because, like, I also kind of think that it was um, – it was kind of presented like everyone was going to die from this army spawning on the, on the ridge. And uh, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't know. I think it's that one line juxtaposed with what happens that really kind of sucks. If Vol'jin never says that, but he says something like – you know, we need to, you know what I mean? Like, we need to hold this so that the Alliance can, doesn't get flanked, right? If you just said something simple kind of like that. Well, if they can't hold it, they can't hold it, yeah. right? No, I, um, absolutely. And so, in, you know, it's one of those things where, like, in theory, I kind of get it. It's just, like, that one line does kind of fuck everything yeah. up. And, and it kind of works from a thematic standpoint, right? Like, the, the constant tragedy of Azeroth is that the Horde and the Alliance can get along for short periods of time, but never yeah. so much that, that one's willing to let the other end have, like, a conceptual upper hand over the other, and so they end up, like, fucking each other in various sundry ways. Yep, um, definitely, definitely. Um, but, I yeah. also think that... Uh, so So here's... so uh, You know, this won't surprise literally anyone that knows me, but uh, Varian Rin is, like, my dude. I fucking... I love... Varian Rin, I think he's a really great character. I think he's really cool and interesting. Um, and uh, Varian obviously dies, um, completing kind of his his overall character arc, which I think of as being quite good. Uh, I mean, like it's you know it's one of those things where Varian kind of hits all of my buttons. Uh, like, kind of right on the nose, right? Like, he's a warrior, right? You know, uh, he spends that time, he's, you know, the, the the story with Varian Rin with, like, the comics is kind of, like, crazy. There's, like, two specific versions of him, one that's just kind of, like, an empty shell being controlled by Anixia, and then his actual spirit, who's, like, running around fighting gladiatorial matches uh, in, you know, all across Azeroth kind of thing. Um, but Varian Rin's character has kind of always been like this, uh, you know, he... he um, he starts off hating the Horde, right? And he hates the Horde for what I think of as an extremely sympathetic reason, right? Uh, he literally, when he was five years old, he watched, you know, an, uh, an orc agent of the Horde who he had, you know, known and trusted literally stab his father in the back and lead to the destruction of his entire kingdom, right? 
Um, and it's about him kind of coming around, so to speak, to uh, to the interactions between the Alliance and the Horde. Um, so, you know, in Wrath of the Lich King, he just wants to wipe, you know, he just wants to wipe him out. He's like, I have no patience for this kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, the, and then that kind of slowly moves through Cataclysm and through Mists of Pandaria, um, thanks to kind of the influence of his son, Anduin, that you know, he's not, you know, he's not that guy anymore. He gets the bigger picture now and he's not, uh, and he doesn't, you know, kind of blame the horde for all of these things that he was playing with it, which I think is great. Right. I think that's a really cool character arc. And the peak of this character arc to me is actually from the Legion intro cinematic where, um, you know, Sylvanas and Varian effectively t are teaming up together uh, to fight on the Broken Shore, right? His, uh, you know, the Skybreaker, his big giant, um, airship goes down and it's Sylvanas that, uh, you know, like, and so he and Sylvanas work together, save one another. And he says during this, he says during this confrontation, right, for Azeroth, which I think is a big deal because typically it's for the Horde or for the Alliance, right? Um, and I think for Azeroth is a really nice kind of, you know, easy way to, like, show that unity or whatever, yeah, it um, also probably would have had more impact if we didn't just go through a whole expansion of Cadgar saying it like every five minutes. Yeah, sure, talking. but I mean, it's, it's yeah, the sure. same no, thing, absolutely. right? Like, this is kind of, right, uh, so this is the peak of his character arc, right? He's put aside all of the differences and he understands everything. But then what happens during the, you know, like the tragic thing, what happens is during the Broken Shore event, he's, um, you know, they're fighting Gul'dan on the ground. And they're, and the, you know, they think they're going to kill him, right? Like, they're ready to take over Gul'dan. The only thing are these flyers that are, like, completely, you know, screwing with them. Um, and Sylvanas and, and the Horde are kind of dealing with the flyers. And so, like, you know, all they need is the Horde to give them a little bit more time. They killed the Gul'dan, stop the Alliance, you know, or stop the Legion portal and everything. Um, and then they see from below, so they can't see the context of what's going on on the ridge. All they hear is Sylvanas sound the retreat. Right as they're about to, you know, like, press forward for, like, that that final victory. Um, then, they, then, you know, uh, the Alliance has to retreat incredibly hastily. Uh, a Fel Reaver gets spawned and, and is trying, you know, is threatening to drag down the airship that has other Alliance faction leaders, Gen Greymane and uh, Gelbin Mechatork on it. And Varian literally sacrifices himself, like you know, for those people so that the Skybreaker can get away. Uh, and it's taken before Gul'dan, who says, you know, you'll, you're going to be remembered as the king who sacrificed himself for nothing. And Varian replies for the Alliance. And the reason I bring this up is because this, like, killed me, right? Like, this, like, killed uh. me. Because it's walking back, you know, it's it's walking back that arc, right? And it really shows how fragile, right, that kind of, you know, like, yeah, we can all band together, yeah, for Azeroth, for Azeroth, but just, like, the little things, these little misunderstandings can, you know, it, it causes him to, to, to kind of fall back um, on, on that character development right before he dies, which is, like, that's, like, the tragedy of Varian Rin's character, and I really, I really got into... I really got into that. Yeah, I, I think I think there's something sim like I obviously don't know the lore as well as you do, but I think there's something very similar for um for for Vulgin, who like you know has, has always kind of been one of the people with with Anduin who's been a proponent of less kind of cross factional conflict, who at that last minute kind of like gives gives it all up to protect the horde. Um, in, in a, so obviously it's not as dramatic as as that, but um, but yeah, I like, like I said. I think part of it's well done. 
in, in the kind of like this is the eternal tragedy of Azeroth, but but I, I understand exactly why you feel the way you do that like even like you know Var- Varian can't die like with his character arc really completed he he's, he dies having it walked back it's really he's really dead right it's not like it's not like uh you know anything else where like he dies slightly off screen and you might be able to to roll it back he like hardcore gets like exploded um yeah yeah dude <laughs> It's not like somebody left him with a sword through him, and he gets up later. He, 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 he's, he's yeah, done. I you know I do have to kind of say that I secretly think that there's more to this Vulgin stuff than it looks on you know um, that to me didn't I I like I could see Vulgin coming back. It's like a ghost, you know. Like I, I don't know. There was a little bit less permanence yeah. to kind of Vulgin. Oh yeah, I, I agree entirely. Uh, the fact that he was mortally wounded instead of dying on the spot is definitely part of that uh, but yeah I, I totally agree with you this is actually a kind of forgotten plot point by a lot of people but i really agree about this vulgin it, you know has always seen the bigger picture thing during cataclysm um when the trolls got together there's like one big troll patch um vulgin goes to the alliance behind garrosh's back uh and basically says listen you know what i mean like the the resurgent zandalari is something we all have to deal with together um and i think that that is like a like a very worthwhile part of his you know of of his characterization um that does uh you know that does interest me and i don't know i i am I am interested to see where they go, especially with trolls. Um, there's a couple of big troll lore. Uh, there's like a big troll king that I can't remember the name of that has yet to. He's, you know, th- there's a couple of big lore characters that have yet to show up. Um, as Shara, who is like the queen of the Naga and like the ancient uh, night elf queen who essentially called the Legion to, you know, essentially called the Legion to um, Azeroth in the first place. Uh, she has yet to show up uh, for a long time. But, you know, people like Deathwing were also, you know, in this kind of thing. Uh, but one of the big, one of these big lore characters is this uh, troll king that I can't remember the name of. And I have a feeling that he might be showing up here, uh, especially because the trolls are uh, integrated into the Broken Isles, typically. So I don't know. We'll 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 have to see. I think. Yeah. No. I, I, absolutely. Um. The the other thing I wanted to bring up was there was a, there there was one other point that I had a little bit of problem with in Broken Shores, um, and that was um, so you crest this bridge and actually in this kind of this moment that I thought was extremely cool is that you see Tyrion Forgering being held by Gul'dan, um, like above above a pit of like toxic demon goo as they are, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you see on the opposite ridge you see the Alliance Shaw, and then. Uh, what Goldan summons a big old demon type thing. You could tell me exactly what that is if you want. Um, and the demon thing, like like breath attacks Tyrion to death, and then you take turns fighting. Uh, the the alliance and the horde take turns fighting this big thing. Now the thing that kind of bothered me a little bit, and this was like in the moment, is that we watch Tyrion die kind of tragically, right? Like he says, "The light will protect me," and he does his best to hold off, and he holds off for a while while this breath kind of just eats through his divine shield, and then he dies and falls into the puddle of goo. Um, and then we have to fight this this big old thing, and then throughout that whole fight, Varian and, like, Sylvanas are, like, throwing quips back and forth. At, I think it's Varian. They're throwing quips <laughs> back and forth at each other. And it's like, really, guys? You just watched, like, Tyrion get brutally murdered in front of you, and it's the time for jokes now? Like, 
Yeah. Like, that just was just like, yeah, wow. I, you know, honestly, I am, I am, um, <laughs> I, I do agree that that was a little bit awkward. I think, it, you know, I think it's kind of to serve a little bit of a grander purpose, right? In the sense of, uh, I think that almost like palling around between them is a little bit there to be, um, you know, to, to kind of, like, show how willing to work together everyone is. Only, you know, only for yes. that to be kind of, you know, taken back later. Um, but, yeah, I guess it is a little bit, like, tasteless in context. Honestly, I think the Tyrion thing... The Tyrion thing, thing kind of bugs me, almost. Um, but I... I don't know. I was never super attached to Tyrion as, like, a lore figure. Uh, mostly because I don't really like paladin lore all that much, and uh, and he almost kind of felt like he was like shoehorned in here, uh, which was which was a little bit awkward, almost. Sure, I mean, and, and you're right. It, it, he, like the purpose of that, like like you said, the purpose of that scene is, is to establish that like every is, is to make it much more impactful whenever when the 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 cross factional treaty, let's call it, because calling it the alliance will just get confusing. Um, the, the you know just to highlight when that falls apart but uh but and but you're you're right that he feels like maybe he didn't necessarily belong there but he's still like they seriously they clearly wanted to kill someone important that way that the the scene had emotional weight but then the, like you know literally the next 10 seconds everything you know i was i would have i was half expecting not expecting, but I thought it would have been like like perfect if Sylvanas is like, ha, your turn, Varian. Let's see if you can take him down. And Varian was just like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? My best friend just, you know, or like, you know, yeah, Tyrion yeah. just died. It's like, lay I off. That, definitely. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I feel that definitely. Um, I also kind of think that, um, you know, uh, you know, it, I I also kind of think that there will maybe be more to do with this in like the Paladin sure. order campaign that we're yeah, that we're maybe not seeing. But yeah, I, I'm with you 100. percent That moment itself was a little bit was a little bit awkward. Um, I did like coming back and kind of the uh, I I like that they were willing to you know make a whole cinematic right to describe the shakeup uh, that right. takes place after. Um, you know, Varian and after Vol'jin die, I thought that that was pretty, pretty great um, because it shows to me that they're you know they they they're really willing to kind of lean into this lore stuff, which I you know I think Warcraft lore has always been good. I think Warcraft three is kind of one of these you know it's it's up there with Starcraft two for me where it's just like one of these great games. Um, you know, in a genre, right? Like real time strategy isn't a genre that lends itself to story all that well, but that story, you know, the, you know, of Arthas, of Tyrande and uh, Illidan, you know, all that stuff is really, really good as far as I see it. Of Thrall, right? Uh, and so I like that they're, you know, I like that they're, um, as, especially as time has gone on with World of Warcraft. They have dedicated more and more resources towards making the story and making the lore, uh, you know, as good as it possibly can be. Yeah. No. Uh, abs. Abs. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. I'm, I. I mean, it's the the lore is the lore is a lot of fun, right? Like, um, it's the the only the only the only thing that kind of bugs me a little bit about the lore is that this is like World of Warcraft. And like it seems to be these highly personal stories about this these dozen or so people, and that's fine. But it's kind of like, well, I enjoy being a background character in this epic narrative, I guess. Um, which just kind of feels 
not not so. It, it, it kind of like like part of the reason I like playing single player games is like you feel like the hero. Here you you can't be by the nature of MMOs. Um, I think you know if if you played, you could take it like the, there are games that just have you play a single. Everybody play the same single player campaign, and you know have that like you have you be the big damn hero just like everybody else, which is a little bit weird to me. Um, but I guess the only like rightish way to do this would be to have like kind of very few great men as it were and just have it kind of be a story of like hordes of people Oof! see i actually kind of disagree with this uh to a certain extent i mean for, so first of all i like um i do like playing kind of these background characters in this epic narrative mostly because i'm an rp'er and that's what rp is right you know kind of one of these unspoken rules of rp is that you don't interface yourself um too much on the you know on what's what's going on between you know the the you know like i'm not going to write a, a piece of my backstory where ve- i am varian rin's you know varian rin is my is my dad right you know where i'm his bastard kid right that's that's like crossing very like very like hardcore crossing a line um and most people are you know, like, most people in RP are kind of about playing in that background world where, you know, these events that are being, you know, the, these things that are happening by by way of Varian Rin and Sylvanas Windrunner doing, you know, whatever it is, these these things bleed down to kind of the common people, right? And, you know, um, and working and working through that almost. But from, a, like, when you actually look at the quests that are going on, like, yeah, there's a lot that you you personally do, right? You personally take Anduin Rin. This is Alliance Quest, but it's just the first I can think of. You personally take Anduin Rin all over Stormwind to, you know, reveal this this cultist pl- plot conspiracy thing um, against, you know, his dad. Uh, and that's one of those things where, you know, if somebody did that in RP, right, that would be a huge no-no, so to speak. Um you know, when you kill the Lich King, he literally is like, yep, you guys are the greatest, you know, you are the greatest warriors on all of freaking Azeroth kind of thing. I guess that's fair. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I guess you're right. Um, and I guess you are part of this this, this force that, that, does, that does ultimately fail, but, like, you know, you've been picked. And, and like, a- after the Broken Church cinematic, you get, like, a scene where you go and you talk to people, and it's like, ah... The, the guy I called for, uh, you know, Baron or Billamong or Tonric or whoever it is, which is, I guess, the cause of that. So I guess you're right. I'll, I'll, I'll wind back my statement. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I, I do agree with you, though, right? Like, this isn't a, a case where I can be, you know, um, I can be Commander Shepard, right? Right. That's, that's not, you know, I, I, I don't know that you really can make that happen, um, uh, in an MMO with lore like Warcrafts to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, I think they kind of did it in like in, in Star Wars Galaxies, not what's, what's the Old Republic, not Galaxies. Like you, you get your own individual storyline with the Bioware style dialogue yeah, trees, yeah, and everybody kind of has the same story, or at least everybody of the same class. But I guess it doesn't have as like the same kind of cosmic implications that. Um, that you know, doing a similar thing in World of Warcraft would, but uh, yeah. Um, one last thing I wanted to bring up about this, just because I, I I find the concept very funny, 
is that they seem to like every expansion just kill the newest horde leader and and you know put in a new war chief. This time it was and this time it was Sylvanas, right? Like a big part of this um, broken choice scenario was kind of justifying Vol'jin handing over the the horde to Sylvanas because yeah. he ended have always kind of been on the outside of the horde, um, which I thought was neat. But it just made me think, you know, next expansion uh, is Sylvanas gets killed in a climactic battle. And as she's laying on her deathbed, she says, she says, you must be war chief, Gallywix. And (laughs) I think, uh, I think Trade Prince Gallywix is the weakest of all the faction leaders. Uh, He doesn't even have his own unique model. They actually gave Gen Greymane a unique model. Most of the faction leaders have a unique model. Um. But they gave Gen Greymane a unique model, um, but they didn't give it to Gallywix, which I always just kind of really find a I, I bit thought, funny. I thought Gallywix looked looked significantly different than a than a regular goblin. Like he's he's like a Gallywix in lore is supposed to be really really fat, right? Um, I, maybe I've I, just never seen his model because like on on the loading screen he looks he looks like a really fat goblin, like something. Yeah, else. yeah, yeah. And but if you look at him in game, he's not like at oh all. He really? Looks like a, he looks like a regular goblin. You know. I think ba- uh, Bane Bloodhoof also has like a generic Torin model, um, which also kind of sucks. Uh, and then so you know, and then you have Sylvanas Thrall. They both have unique models. Vol'jin had, I suppose, a unique model. Who am I missing? Lorthamar Theron might not have a unique model. What is it on Alliance side? Velen has a unique model. Gelbin Mechator, kind of. Uh, the dwarves. Not really, because there's, like, three of them. But even then, I think Moira has something of a unique model. Um, Varian obviously had a unique model. Gen, Anduin. Uh, yeah, they just like Alliance better than Horde, apparently. Yeah. Well, no, I'm looking at the model now, and it's like, it's like that's actually... I think Gallywix is probably the worst, because, like, all of his art looks so much different than a regular Goblin, and he just looks like yep. a regular... Wow. Yep. That's a real thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's also Tyrande and, jeez, uh, uh, what's that other guy? Um, Tyrande and uh, Malfurion. Uh, one of the things I liked a lot uh, about the Alliance, like, Aftermath cinematic, is that Malfurion and Tyrande were there together. Um, I like, I, I don't like Malfurion when he's kind of like, uh, you know, like an Alliance, almost like Thrall, right? Like, I like him when he is specifically a, you know, a member of, uh, of the Alliance and the Night Elves. Okay. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm honestly a little bit sad. I, you know, th- you know, this is like a minor gripe, but it really bugs me that Tyrande is not the, uh, uh, is not like the new faction leader for, uh, is not like essentially the new war chief, but whatever you call that on, I guess like high king of the Alliance kind of thing. Um, it's a little bit weird that Gen is going to be that for the Alliance, it seems. Uh, they do a pretty good job of, you know, they, they do a pretty good job of justifying it at, you know, in the moment. But it really kind of sucks because, you know, Tarande is one of the main, main characters of, you know, she she is the Night Elf that you play in Warcraft 3. And she kind of hasn't really had all that much lore uh, when it comes to, wow. Even, Plus, you know, you'd, even have, you'd have a really natural kind of, like... You know, mirror effect with Sylvanas on one side and Tarand on the Tarande. Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, this is you know, this is something that I'm really you know, this is something that I'm into, and I you know, maybe the rest of the world isn't as much, but you know, ah, whatever. Yeah. Well, we've we've burned a lot of time on Broken Shores, which is <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah, but let's true. get on to what happened. What happened at Gen Con? I think we're just gonna go through it like 
day by day, talk about what we did. Um, maybe, I, I think I'm going to start on a Wednesday just to give like a couple of pro tips for you. If you plan to go to Gen Con. Pro tips for listeners. Gen Con. I like, I like this. Good plan. So uh, the first thing we did is we flew into Chicago. Now, pro tip for people going to Gen Con, if you can't plan until late, and maybe even even if you can plan early, tickets to, to Chicago are generally significantly cheaper. It's about a three-hour drive from Chicago to Indianapolis. Um, and we had a lot of fun with that. We had a, we had a nice three-hour road trip um, in terms of camaraderie and whatnot. So if you've got friends to go with you, that's not a terrible option if you're looking to save a, a little bit of money um, is to fly into Chicago first. Yep. Um, and especially if, and you know, if you want to extend your vacation a little bit, Chicago's not the worst city to vacation. I wouldn't uh, vacation to... in Indianapolis. Yeah, just to put some numbers on this, um, it was about 500 bucks for me to fly direct to Indianapolis and uh, about $300 for me to do Chicago. In fact, most of the planes uh, that I were seeing were not direct flights to Indianapolis. Most of them were bounces from Chicago anyway, where, you know, you fly into Chicago, transfer, fly into Indianapolis. Um, so I, I am I am very much a proponent of uh, the, the drive that we did. I thought that was, uh, I thought that was a very clever workaround. Yeah. Um, so the other piece of that though, like the kind of dark side of that is we had five people and it was essentially a RAV4. Maybe it wasn't exactly a RAV4, but it was that size car. And, uh, three of us are, are tall, large dudes. And so that quickly became very, uh, very uncomfortable. <laughs> um, yeah, I really should have gotten a van. I thought, I yeah. thought getting a, you know, I thought getting like an SUV of that size was going to be the, uh, kind of the right answer. Um, but yeah, it didn't quite, it didn't quite work out that way. I mean, we, we survived. It was just a bit uncomfortable for a while. Um, but you know, next we know for next time. So pro tips, size your car properly. If you're a bunch of small people, like maybe like, like, I don't know, smaller guys and girls, you know, adjust accordingly. I'm sure you all know how big you all are better than we do. But if you've got a bunch <laughs> of big guys, make sure you have plenty of space because three hours is like three hours is like around the part where it really gets unbearable, right? Like an hour is okay. Hour and a half to two hours, not great. Three hours, it really starts to great. Yeah. Um, uh, at which point we arrived at our hotel in Indianapolis, um, which part of the advantage of having the car is we could pick a hotel that wasn't, you know, within, uh, you know, throwing distance of, of the airport, which is nice. We got, we got a hotel that was to the Northwest of the convention center. Um, so it was, it was actually a shorter drive to, uh, um, to the hotel than all the way to the convention center by about a half an hour, which is nice. Yeah. Um, you know, to be honest, I think that there's uh you know, I, I would be interested in looking at those prices of like, you know, the Marriott and the Westin, you know, like those, those hotels that were right next door. I could see you know, there's, there is a, there is a version of this, I think where, um, you know, perhaps it is recommend, you know, it, it is like the right recommendation to have your room right on top of Gen Con um, because it removes a little bit of the kind of travel time, you know, stuff. You know, like we had to get up at like 7 a.m., right? Eat breakfast, you know, get, a, get, a, get everybody gets in the shower, get all of our stuff together in order to get to, you know, Gen Con at 10 um, for our 10 a.m. panels and games and everything. And perhaps there is a little bit of wisdom to like the, you know, uh, staying right on top of the convention center. I doubt that it would be 
I mean, I think you would probably go up two or three times in terms of cost, but there is a very real benefit to it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Especially because I'll just kind of go over this now. I think a lot of us are still recovering from the fact that we didn't get a ton of sleep, Um, you know, for various reasons. Part of it is that um, I snore a lot. has the worst sleep apnea ever. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Uh, But we all, you know, we we, we were at Gen Con from like, pretty consistently like 10 to almost 10 ish which right. meant we were awake from like seven to midnight seven to two if we were if we decided to you know hang out and pile around instead of just going home and going to sleep yep um and so you know that was like five to seven hours of sleep and the, the you know before we account for like snoring and and trouble sleeping which will kind of bring me to my next point which is i think we did okay we had two double beds and a pull-out couch and we had uh, four, four guy, uh, you know, we had one guy on the pull out couch and two guys each in the double bed. And again, the kind of like, um, I don't know how, you, like it was me and, uh, w- w- the, the third large dude in the, in the first bed. And while I didn't feel crowded out, I definitely wasn't super comfortable. I don't know how your, yours was with, uh, with, with Jimmy over there. Um, but, yeah, you uh, know, I, you know, um, I don't know. I think part of this is because I've, uh, done i guess a lot of sleeping in beds with other people in situations like this um i don't know that that you know there there's not really such thing as like especially even in like a hotel right like i don't think any hotel bed is ever going to kind of like match up to my bed kind of thing sure um and you know I, i i get i think i kind of boiled that into my expectations so much that it didn't really phase me all that much um i don't know it, it, it was just a thing where I would have preferred a little more room. Um, and, you know, obviously it's doable. If this breaks your budget, I would recommend, I would recommend you know, kind of... I'd, I'd recommend giving up the comfort to, 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 to get to get the budget to the right level. But I, don't know, I, I feel like next year I would like a little bit more room personally. Yeah, I, I also think that that will come naturally if we can get more people. Sure. Um, yeah, we, we were right on the edge of needing a second room. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, there's no way, there's no way at all that we could have done six people in that room. Uh, um, yeah, uh, yeah. Ab- absolutely. Um, but uh, I think that kind of covers. Oh, one thing I wanted to say before we got into the actual Gen Con content is, um, uh. Will Call opens up sometime on Wednesday and doesn't close until, like, Sunday. Oh, man. Like, yeah, that 24 was a hours. huge deal for us. Yeah. Uh, we, <laughs> we got in. You know, we didn't get in, like, super late, but we got in at, like, 9 or 10 kind of thing um, after dealing with, like, traffic and, like, eating kind of stuff when, when we were coming down to Chicago. Um, and then we were just kind of hanging out because everybody, you know, uh, this is when we were we had all seen each other for the first time and all, and all this kind of stuff. And then, like, midnight rolled around and we saw on, like, the page that it's, like, you know, will call opens at 5 a.m. or 5 p.m. on on Wednesday or whatever the you know whatever the time is and doesn't close until you know midnight on Sunday kind of thing and we're like, does that mean like it's open in the middle of the night? And we just kind of like decide we didn't know specifically, so we just kind of decided to roll those dice to see if it was open. Uh, and we drove down at like one o'clock in the morning, um, you know, to get to get our stuff, which we succeeded at. Yeah, uh, and and you know was what? Hugely helpful. There was a there was a fucking line at one in the morning. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a huge yeah. line, but you know it, it was kind of the choice between trying it now 
and putting off sleep for a little bit longer or having to get up at six and hoping to God we got everything before our first events were, were on, on a, because I, Thursday morning is probably the absolute worst time to go get your badge. Yeah, definitely. Um, like we walked in and there was, the line was all the way down, down, down the convention center hall. Um, so yeah, if you can get your badge on Wednesday or alternatively last year, what happened is, uh, Mark and I flew overnight on Wednesday and intended to go on Thursday, but kind of didn't and went and picked up our stuff on Friday morning where it was pretty dead. So if you don't mind missing a day of the con, then, uh, then that's also, but I, I would, I would highly recommend going on not Thursday somehow to get, to get, to get your stuff. Um, yeah. Um, the only other note I kind of want to make is that, um, there's a lot of cool things you can do if you're planning it last minute. Like I didn't feel like we were locked out of a lot because we kind of did a lot of event planning rather late. Um, but there are some things in particular, um, if you want to do true dungeon adventures, you have to be ready the moment that events open. So you can grab a spot on one of those. Um, and I would recommend scouting out, like if you want to do something in particular, like I kind of went, I, I usually go into Gen Con with this kind of like, I'll do something and have fun. But if you wanted to say it, like one of the things I want to do this Gen Con was play a game of Exalted. And I didn't get to do that because they were all filled by the time I went around and looked for it. Um, so if you want to do something specific, scout it out before the events open and then grab it as fast as possible. Even if yeah, it doesn't I fill had, up I immediately. This, uh, yeah, I had the same problem. I really, my, my thing, I really wanted to LARP. Um, live action role playing, but uh, I did not actually get the opportunity because almost all of the LARP events were uh, closed by the time that I, um, you know, I, I, I got down to I got down to business. But yeah, let's let, let's get into the actual content a little bit. I'm gonna bring up my calendar so I can remember all the fun things we did. You know, that is a great freaking idea. I uh, I was trying to remember. I was like, what events did I go to on Thursday? Well, let's check kind of yeah. thing. Oh, that's that's another good tip to to uh, give to our, our fans. So Gen Con doesn't have any scheduling software on its own. So what we did is we each made calendars um, and put in our events and then shared them with each other on Google Calendars. That's true. Um, that and, was really, that was like a big deal. Um, I would say that it's, um, super helpful for planning a little bit more than it is live, but it was still, it was still, yeah, I mean, it was also, it was, uh, it was helpful live, I think, uh, to a certain extent, because, you know, if we need to figure out where someone is kind of thing, we could, uh, you know, we could check that kind of thing out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I was glad that we spent the time. It also allows you to see like, you know, who signed up, like, for instance, I'm looking at it and, uh. You know, me, uh, Jimmy, and uh, it looks like Mark all signed up for um, writing for Pathfinder at the same time that Enoch was first time G- in first time GM, and at the same time that you were, you know, playing Codex card strategy game, right? Yes. And you can kind of see all that as one unique block, which I think is very effective. I, I, I absolutely agree. So, Google Calendars. Also, pro- very minor tip for that when you name your calendar, if you're going to do a separate calendar from your base calendar, name it like Gen Con dash your name. Cause everybody names it Gen Con. They'll all just show up as Gen Con on the, yeah, uh, it's really, it's on, really on the calendar. It doesn't quite work that well, um, <laughs> but yeah, um, kind of moving into the actual content. Um, I guess technically codex was first. So I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, uh, codex was, um, a game kickstarted is by David Serlin of Serlin games. Um, he's kind of famous for some, uh, very century game stuff. One of the biggest things is he wrote a book 
I believe we've talked about it on the podcast. It's like the art of winning or something like that. It's essentially um, Sun Tzu interpreted through the fighting game mindset. Um, oh, yeah. You did tell me about yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and so it's that guy, his company. Um, it's a game that I can best describe as a cross between like Dominion and Magic the Gathering. Um, and it's super complicated. And it's really neat. But like it's it's kind of a bit of a barrier right like if you've if you've played dominion or magic i think you wouldn't have a big problem picking up kind of the the in-between pieces it doesn't have like the kind of weird um you know you know seven thousand page rule book card interactions that magic the gathering has but it does have that kind of like set up characters and swing at people and 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 kind of deal um but it, i would say it was fun um you essentially pick what you pick what's essentially a color and you get um, so in the starter game, you get one hero and you kind of, there's, there's a tech tree and you've got an income and you kind of build up your, your cards and you start out with a very small deck of cards. And as you play the game, you add more cards from your binder into the deck while the other person is playing. Um, and you, you, you draw out your cards that way. And so you, you've got, it's, it's neat. And then in the full version of the game, you get three heroes and then you have to pick at tech level one, a specialization that only leaves you access to certain combinations of heroes. And if this sounds really confusing, it kind of is. And I'm glad they didn't put that in the basic edition because the basic edition, in addition to all of this, like you attack people with your characters, but when it's not your turn, you can put people into defense slots. And each of the defense slots has an individual bonus to it, like super taunt or Jesus plus one defense. Christ. Or like if you kill it, you get plus one coins. And it's like, and it's, it's, not so bad when you see it all in front of you, but it's like it. I would not have wanted to try and puzzle this out with another person. I am glad that I did this with somebody with the GM. So if I ever get this game, I can sit down with somebody else and explain to them how to do it from that experience. Um, but it was a lot of fun. Um, I believe it was Kickstarter recently. I don't think it's actually out yet, but if you want to Google around, it's called Codex by Serlin Games. Um, so the next one we have on here is writing for Pathfinder, and I'm just going to take these, you know, I signed up for a whole bunch of these Paizo sessions, right, um, and I just want to take them as a big block. I think the Paizo sessions were, you know, like, good overall, but I do want to kind of warn people not necessarily to get, like, your quote-unquote, like, hopes up, um, I am a little bit, you know, like, so, and people who pay attention to the podcast obviously know that I'm very into, like, the movie business, right? And uh, and what I almost expected um, from these kinds of panels was something more akin to, like, what, like, you know, like, the Warner Brothers or, like, the Marvel panel might look like uh, at, like, Comic-Con, which is really not what these were, right? Um, they were very low-key. They had not all that many people in them. It was... Uh, it really seemed as though a lot of these Baizo people hadn't quite figured out what they even wanted to talk about all that much, like, before they, like, they went into the panel. And that's actually kind of okay, because I think that kind of, like, colloquial, casual, um, nature to everything, um, helped to a certain extent. Uh, but I do want to just kind of, like, warn people that, like, you know, these Paizo events are, uh... Uh, they are less structured um, than you might otherwise expect from effectively, you know, one of, like, the leaders in the industry, right? Um, 
So just be aware of that before kind of like signing up and going nuts for all of these different Paizo events. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, the, the, the problem with the panels, I think is that there are some of them that are really good. I'm sure we'll get to that. Um, uh, when we talk about Friday, um, but a lot of them are just kind of like glorified advertisements for whatever thing is happening, which I think rolls. I'll, I'll talk about. Uh, we can talk about the Pathfinder rules Q and A. I'll talk about Cult of Cthulhu afterwards because I think that's a good example of a panel that was really just kind of an advertisement for horror adventures and like whatever else was coming out around that time. It was mostly it was it was the design team who are cool guys just talking about like the cool features in the new pass and like how you can go, but like they didn't say like you can go buy them at the booth, but like, I feel like that was kind of like the heavy undercurrent. Like you should buy this book because, um, you know, I do have to say, um, for, for that specific, I mean, I really expected something different. When I see Pathfinder rules Q and a, I literally thought that it was just like a bunch of the Paizo designers up there. And we were just going to ask like the most nitpicky rules questions. And they dispelled that myth right up front, but I was a little sad actually. Yeah. Um, oh. but what, you know, but whatever the case may be, the, uh, the, the rules Q and a, I do kind of appreciate that to a certain extent. Uh, I don't pay super close attention to what's coming out. Uh, and a lot of the time when it comes to Paizo stuff, I'm either very like into a product, right? Villain Codex, that is something I'm going to freaking buy, right? Like, that's right up my alley kind of thing. Uh, but horror adventures, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a horror guy. It's not something that I integrate in my games all that much. And so I do actually kind of appreciate that I got a good overview uh, of actually both of those products. Um, I, you know, I, I knew effectively what Villain Codex was, but I didn't quite have the details that they did provide at that rules Q&A. So I do appreciate that kind of just from a like, this is what's up and coming from, from, from Pathfinder. Um, okay. So that, speak. That, 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 that's fair. Um, if, to give a little insight, the reason I'm kind of a little bit sour on these is last year, um, Mark and I went to a couple different panels, one of which was this, was one we went to again this year because it was amazing. That's the rules workshop. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, and then we went to another one, which was like the future of Pathfinder or something. We were like, oh boy, preview stuff. And it was literally some like corporate type person droning on about like their new licensing deals. And Mark and I were like, oh my God, and left 15 minutes in. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, that that one definitely sounds... Uh, I, I didn't go to that one specifically, which I think was Paizo 2016 and beyond, even though I did technically sign up for it. Um, you know, I you know uh, I, I figured out pretty quickly what I think I wanted from these Paizo panels, and I kind, of, I kind of reoriented my expectations for what they were. I'm also, you know, like I said, I was kind of expecting these, these to be advertisements, so to speak, anyway, Right, like I was expecting them to kind of be like the place where they come and drop the Justice League trailer, but for Paizo kind of thing. Um, so I wasn't all that mad about it. I, that's exactly what it was when I went to some of the later panels, like the um, the Adventure Path Q&A. You know, they just kind of explained, this is the next Adventure Path, this is the Adventure Path after that, this is the Adventure Path after that. And they opened up to Q&A for people to be like, you know, hey, you know, the, these are some questions I have about these like kind of brief previews you just gave me. Uh, which I think is kind of like the, the, almost like the platonic ideal of that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think those are okay. Like, like I said, I, I didn't actually didn't go to Paizo twenty sixteen and beyond um, this year. This is talking about last year. It's like it's just like that one panel that was just kind of like very much just like a like a doling out information about like licensing deals that that really soiled me on some of these panels. But um, I think that's probably enough bitching about that. I'm gonna roll it back a for a quick second 
and talk about um, cultists and Cthulhu, which was uh, um, which was a card game. You kind of deal cards out to people. Um, you essentially you're trying to complete rituals worth a certain number of points to um, uh, and whoever gets I think it's 21 points first wins. Um, you you get points by having your cultists roll a bunch of dice. And if you hit fives and sixes, you get successes. And if you roll too many ones and twos, your cultist goes crazy and runs away. It's a fun, goofy little game. It's not like super serious or super dark or anything. It's kind of like think like Munchkin for cultisting for for Cthulhu in terms of like tone. Um, but it's it, it's a lot of fun. I I think it'd be an excellent party game. In fact, I was thinking of uh, just picking up just to like play in the hotel room. I didn't end up doing it because I um, couldn't find it when I looked briefly for it on the floor. But I I I, th- I would recommend it to anyone. Um, to anyone who's looking for some lighthearted fun, um, it's got some strategic depth to it, but it's not like, it's, 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 it's not gonna, it's, it's, you know, it's not gonna burn your brain like a, I don't know, like a Axis and Allies, and it's not gonna... Oh my god, I own Axis and Allies, and I love that game. <laughs> no, I mean, I love, I love myself some Axis and Allies, some Napoleon in Europe, too, but, um, if you're afraid that that's what this is going to be. It's not, right? Like, there's a time and place for Axis and Allies. Sure. And there's a time and a place for, like, Jenga. And this is much closer to the Jenga end of the scale than to the Axis and Allies end. Um, Which I think rolls us into, uh, I'm going to say, the most interesting panel that we did at Gen Con, um, which is running RPGs online. Buddy, why don't you tell uh, the story of this? Okay, so what had happened was, running RPGs online is a Paizo panel, and the Paizo people never showed up. So, being the brave man he is, Mark went up there and just started hosting the panel. Uh, and uh, and I went up and joined him, uh, you know, like maybe a minute later kind of thing. Uh, and to be honest, we didn't, you know, we didn't spend too much time running this panel. Shout out, by the way, if any of you, like, new listeners are new listeners because we plugged the shit out of, you know, we plugged the shit out of this podcast. Um, but, you know... Uh, I you know it was it was a very kind of like humble moment almost to kind of see specifically how much you know I have played I played so much stuff on Roll Twenty I, I do have a lot of kind of tips and tricks for people and everything like that uh, but there was also it was very it was much more of a seminar than it was like a panel right a lot of the time people in the audience were answering questions. Um, rather than Mark and I, even though we were the ones up at the top of the stage with the microphones, uh, which I actually kind of appreciate because I, I am a little bit uncomfortable with, uh, you know, pretending that I, I have all of the answers, right? Like, I have a very specific experience about running RPGs online, uh, and I wanted to make sure that we got as much of the uh, uh, kind of variety that you get into. Um, yeah, it was crazy. That was also a packed panel, too, compared to some of the other Paizo panels that I went to, uh, you know, especially some of, like, the lore-based ones. The, you know, there were way more people in there than, uh, than yeah. I otherwise would have thought. But uh, the video for that will actually be coming out at some point um, because it was recorded by the... Um, one of the No Direction guys. The, yeah, one of the No Direction guys. Um, and he, you know, he asked for our permission. Uh, so we will link that at, at some point in the future. Yeah, no, like, uh, just to kind of, like, uh, expand on that a little bit. Um, I thought it was, like, like I, I think the reason it works so well is because, like, there were a couple people, I think, that came in late. But I think, like, almost everybody knew that what had happened was that you guys just kind of, like, grabbed the, you know, 
grabbed the moment and tried to run the panel that way something happened and because of that it was a much friendlier interaction right like if, if there was like some dude on stage from paizo talking about this i don't think you would have had the same kind of collaborative spirit that we had um that, that that was present in that panel right like you had people from all over all over the audience just kind of giving their two cents talking about like you know like you said everything we do is in roll 20 some some guy talked about tabletop simulator um somebody talked about like using different programs to facilitate communication doing hybrid games that kind of thing um and i i think that kind of like breadth of experience only happened because you know it was really like an unofficial kind of substitute um yeah definitely definitely i'm kind of curious as to who was supposed to be there like, I went down and I asked about it, but no one that I asked knew anything about it. They didn't even realize that no one showed up. Like they were like, "Wait, really?" kind of thing. And I was just like, "Yeah, you know, don't, 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 don't worry about it." Did you tell them that you ran it instead? Uh, I, you know, I may have mentioned that. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, it was actually kind of nice because uh, I almost kind of feel like I got a little bit of like a rapport. With I, you know, I, I, I'm a unique looking guy, I think, and I did my best to ask a lot of questions, right? Uh, you know, add some suggestions and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so it was kind of neat, you know, walking around the Paizo, you know, walking around like the like the Paizo thing and having, um, you know, I guess John vote uh, and Jason Bullman recognize me. That was uh, that was kind of cool. Yeah. No. I, I, absolutely. Um. Cross your fingers. Maybe you'll get asked to do the panel again next year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. is gonna be like, "Oh man, this this buddy guy really knows his shit." Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah. So moving on to, I think what is my personal favorite event of Gen Def- Con. No, no doubts in my mind that that was my favorite event. We played a game in Seven C Second Edition called A Missing Mayor, or The Missing Mayor. Um. And for those of you who don't know, 7C is this old system, um, and it got kickstarted and rebooted this uh, this spring. Um, and so the second edition is just out. I went and bought myself a special edition of the rulebook after we played this game because I loved it so much. And uh, um, I think part of the experience that really sold it is the guy that was running the game for us. Um, Shoutouts to Charlie, the, the 7C GM. He was a dude who has played the first edition for years and years and years um, and, like, really loved it and really wanted to kind of, I guess, sell it to us. And he talked to us and, like, you know, at some point, we were, like, we were all members of the uh, the Knightly Order of the Rose and the Cross, I believe. And at some point, we're like, oh, what does that symbol look like? And he holds out his hand. He's like, oh, like the signet ring on my finger that my players bought for me. <laughs> it was like, and, you know, and sometimes that can go in the other direction. You've got someone who's just too into it. But this guy was just perfect. And well, I, you know, I think that seventh, his enthusiasm, right, and his kind of like depth of knowledge was really good. Um, in combination with the fact that the world is very accessible, it's uh, it's kind of one of those RPGs where the world is um, kind of like a funhouse mirror reflection of the real world, right? Uh, there's Castile, which is Spain, and like Montaigne. Uh, Montagna or something, which is France, right? And Eisen, Avalon. which is Germany. Yeah, exactly, right. And and it's all kind of in service, almost like you know, I think of Warhammer very much in this in this vein. It's all kind of in service to right, like you know, the French zone is all about uh, you know, kind of like swashbuckling 
Three Musketeers kind of heroes, right? Um, I got the impression, I don't quite know that this is true. I got the impression that, like, Aizen is much more of, like, a darker fairy tale kind of, like, you know, monsters monsters in the the woods to to fight kind of thing, right? Um, You know, you uh, uh, you have Avalon, which I am absolutely positive must be a very Arthurian kind of knightly uh uh place just because the, you know avalon is the name uh uh the, the, you know that's a direct reference to kind of like arthurian lore and i think and i and i like and i like worlds like these right because you can fill in a lot of the gaps right when you find out that the vatican church uh has a bunch of uprising rebels called objectionists or whatever it's very easy to kind of slot that into your own understanding of what you know the catholic church was like uh, in response to the Protestant Revolution in, like, actual history terms. Um, and so I think that that really worked to the system's favor, right? It, it allowed us to kind of dive deep, whereas some of the other games that were one-shot games, I couldn't quite... You know, I hadn't spent two hours reading, like, the lore section of the book, so it was tougher for me to get into the the lore of what was actually going on if that makes sense yeah no I, I, absolutely i think we'll talk about that with a little while with some of the other games you played that kind of um i wouldn't i wouldn't say you fell to that problem but like just didn't have the kind of like ease of reference to kind of substitute in those known quantities yeah. um it was also very nice uh, i have to say that uh we could play as you know it was the five of us we were all relatively energetic because we hadn't had any sleep deprivation problems yet really um the um i don't know i that that was just such a it was just such a great solid solid experience it was a solid one shot it's a solid system um with solid gms and everyone was kind of on their uh on their uh, game yeah on their game yeah it was one of those it was one of those games um i don't i don't want to spoil it too much to a certain extent but it was one of those games where because it was a one shot it allowed people to kind of break the rules a little bit um there was a point where you know just in the middle of these negotiations i had my character fire you know like fire an arrow at the bad guy right um in a conventional game, that has some very long-term consequences that can, you know what I mean? That where, like, making that kind of a rash decision can really, you know, kind of, like, derail things and fuck everything up. But because it's a one-shot, you can make those, um... I, I think I'm actually, like, I, I get what you're saying, but I think I'm going to disagree with you a little bit, because I think that's kind of the thing that the system's, de- like, designed to handle, which is kind of, like, these super big, kind of, like, um, things, like, you know, these these big kind of like dashing hero story moments um rather than kind of like getting muddled in in kind of uh the what would what, what would you call like i guess i guess the weeds a little bit i mean yeah i i just mean in the in the context of uh if i was playing rune lords right that's not a decision that i'm very prepared to make because the long term look Let's say, you know, I, I'm sitting here and I'm meeting with, you know, this person and I'm not quite sure if they're a good guy or a bad guy. Almost always, I think the default is to kind of hear out this kind of person. Oh, I see what you're saying. What, you know what I yeah. mean? But I was willing to just not do that. I was willing to just completely throw that kind of long-term planning stuff under the bus because it's a one-shot, right? And because the consequences are immediate rather than long-term, it's easier to kind of accept them and make a uh, uh, and make like a rash yeah. decision almost. No, uh, ab- absolutely. Um, 
Although I will, again, like, I think you're absolutely right, but I do think this system is designed to kind of account for those rash decisions a little a little bit better than most. Like, I, I think that, like, a rash decision would not be, would be better received in, 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 in uh, 7C than in, than in, say, Pathfinder. Um, we're kind of like, I, I think the mechanics are fluid enough that, like, if you kind of, like, kick a domino out of the way, um, that it'd be relatively easy to slot something else in because it's it's not relying on kind of, like, these very carefully constructed encounters like mm-hmm. uh, like a lot of Pathfinder adventures are. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, um, I, I, I'm with you. Um, just to kind of, like, serve that, that point a little bit, I do want to talk a little bit about the mechanics just so, like... Um, just so people get an idea, because this is this system is not another D twenty system. Um, Buddy and I did play a game like that, which we'll talk about in a little while. But this game um, is uh, the mechanic. The core mechanic is really cool. I actually, when I picked up my book, I talked a little bit to the designer um, who was sitting at the booth about about why he made that decision. Um, what you do is, is you essentially you you generate a pool of D tens um, that you roll based on a number of different factors, um, and you roll them all. And you try and make combinations of dice that add up to 10. You get the maximum number of successes. Um, and then on your turn, you spend them to do things. Now, this is pretty cool because um, what you do is, is when, when you're going to roll the die, you describe what you intend to do with the scene. Right? You could say, I intend to stab the bad guy. And the GM could say, like, oh, okay. Well, then roll, like, your, your weaponry with your, you know, stat based on, like, what type of weapon it is, um, plus some other variables. Um, and then you get all those things. And so you roll your dice. You've got, let's say I've got five successes. Um, it comes around to you and it turns out that the bad guy is kind of pinned. Um, but his buddy's escaping out the window and you could say like, I don't want to attack him anymore. I want to follow that guy out the window and you can do that. You just have to pay a penalty of one extra success in order to enable that, which I think is a really cool way, cool way to, 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 um, work with the system to kind of like get your, like, stats in correctly so that you can do things without kind of, like, tying you too hard into one action because, um, like I said, I talked to the designer a little bit, and what he said was is he really liked kind of the 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 initiative system from Shadowrun in concept where, like, you get to do a bunch of different things, but that, that system is way too unwieldy. Um, and so he designed this system around kind of, like, well, everybody gets a number of successes, and then as the turns go, you, the person with the most successes left gets to act first. So you still kind of get that 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 turn wind down type effect. Um, but it also doesn't like lock you into one action, like not allowing that kind of flexibility would. Um, and yeah, it, definitely. I am also a big fan of the system because it's a resource allocation system. Um, Pathfinder is very, you know, so um, I first kind of thought about this difference when I read the, like the Marvel comics RPG rules, which are about, you know, like how, you know, like how many of your resources do, do you expend in order to accomplish this thing rather than having it be an RNG system, right? Um, where, you know, you're rolling dice and you see what happens or what doesn't happen, right? The example that they use in that system is like, look, if you're Spider-Man and you spend, you know, three points um, to web swing, you web swing, right? That happens. Uh, if you're Spider-Man in like a Pathfinder game, right, you roll a die and on a nat one, you don't win, you know, or, or you know, kind of like whatever it is. Um, and I have to say that I do appreciate these resource allocation systems because it really does allow you to take more control of things. It's much less 
you know, I do this thing, if the dice allow me, right? And more, okay, I'm going to specifically use my resources to 100% guarantee that I, I accomplish this task, which I think is, um, I don't know, I think it's a very effective way uh, to kind of allow for more integrated storytelling stuff to take place. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Um, I, I, I agree with that 100%. Um, I don't think I have anything else to say on that. Um, I want the only other thing I really wanted to bring up was the uh, the hero point system. Um, big part of the system is you pass out points um, to, to the players, and the players get to spend them for bonuses to themselves, more effectively for bonuses to their allies, or a couple other different things that are based on your specific character abilities. Um, and I think the cool thing about that is that when you spend a hero point to kind of boost what you're doing. Um, you give a chip to the GM to then later spend against you, which I think is super cool. Um, and he's got some mechanics to, to make sure he has some chips. Um, and the way you regenerate chips too is like, um, it's like essentially playing to your character flaws, which is something I love in a game, right? You could say I have a character flaw all game long, but if it never ever has an effect on the story, like, and especially in a game like Pathfinder, which is kind of built to be kind of crunchy and whatnot, like right. explicitly playing to your flaws and being a shithead in some way, like in some ways it's, it's bad. Like, you know, I, there are circumstances where playing to your character is not the right decision because it makes everybody's life harder. And ultimately the goal of Pathfinder is to win. Whereas I think in, uh, in this game, like mechanically rewarding it, not only encourages it, but it also kind of emphasizes the fact that the goal of 7C is to tell a, a compelling story, yeah. um, which which I think is an important distinction. Um, but uh, that, that is something I particularly liked. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Definitely, I agree. Um, the next thing that we did, which was, I guess, starting on Friday, uh, Pathfinder. Oh, the okay, so the Pathfinder. Um, oh, rules design session. The rules design session. This is something uh, that we had heard about because Jim, or, uh, Mango and Mark went last year. Yeah. Uh, where you guys um, kind of worked through some stuff. And this year it was very cool and very interesting. And we're not you know, bound NDA. by an NDA, so we can actually talk about it. Yeah, just, just for a little bit of context, usually they put you under NDA and talk about some stuff that you that we can never talk about again. Um, yeah, I mean, like, Mango's still technically under his NDA for the old yeah, one, so he can't really yeah. talk about oh, what yeah. happened in the old one. But in general, right, this is where this is where the designers get together with the players and just kind of, like, throw, uh, you know, kind of... The, the, they described it as a brainstorming kind of thing, where they you brainstorm with players. This year, it was actually a legit playtest. We playtested the Starfinder Starship Combat Rules, um, which I almost even kind of want to say deserve a a podcast all to themselves because there's like a lot to dig into yeah that so might... i don't want to uh so i don't want to reveal too much but i do just want to kind of say that a i think that the skeleton you know i i don't want to i don't want to you know this is one of those things where it's like it's in beta it's in alpha right like it's not even you know close to done kind of thing but i do want to judge it based on what we have seen and everything like that i don't think uh uh i don't think it was tuned to the right place i think it was kind of haphazardly tuned of you know like i don't mean this in like the kind of shifty way but like in the sketchy way where things were very imprecise and not quite what the numbers actually should be if you were to you know publish them kind of thing but i think the 
skeleton that they they had that kind of tuning on was very solid. Yeah, I, um, I agree with that 100%. The, the gist of it comes down to they, they, they worked to make uh, Starship Combat where you and your whole team are working together on your spaceship, right? Like your kind of Millennium Falcon, right? Your, uh, your Firefly, um, as, as like one unit that that spaceship acts, but like it acts because five people are putting their actions into it. And I think that they very much succeeded at kind of making that, uh, making that work out. Um, yeah. But, uh, you play like the crew of a starship, which, uh, um, I'm actually going to skip over matter of empire uh, or I'm, I'm going to give it a, very, very brief um, discussion. Matter of Empire, set in a dreadpunk setting. Dreadpunk is steampunk plus, like, vampires and werewolves and Chinese ghosts, which is what happened in this session. Um, thought the environment was interesting. Thought the GM was good. Thought the system was, eh. It's kind of like, roll a d10, add your skill, hit your target. Um, it was designed to... It, this is this is what I think of as, like like, the kind of the the darker end of um of kind of these storyteller based systems which is like so rules light that everything just kind of gets like hand waved and you know and if you want to just kind of like sit around and tell a story that's fine but if you want something to bite into a little bit there's not a lot there um which i think is particularly well suited to one-offs but i don't think i could play a, a whole campaign like that yeah um, I, I definitely understand where you're coming from um but uh to kind of like gloss over that um, the, <coughs> excuse me, the, um, the next thing we did, uh, speaking of running a ship, like, uh, like, like a crew was we played some, uh, empty Epsilon, which if people at home don't know is a open source, uh, bridge commander type game. Um, and that was a lot of fun. This is probably my second favorite thing behind, you know, just behind 7C. Um, I have wanted to play one of these kinds of games for a long time. Um, I knew about Artemis, which is kind of the uh, the game that I think kicked off this kind of thing. Uh, in fact, I think I own Artemis on Steam. Uh, but Empty Epsilon is, you know, like an open source version of it. And the way that we got to play it at Gen Con was especially awesome uh, because we got to sit down at a table with five, you know, laptops, right? Um, with one another and and kind of go through it piece by piece, which was just super cool. It was just super, super cool. I think that the game itself is a little bit light in terms of content. This is not a, you know, this is not a game that I could replace League of Legends with, for instance. Um, but I think it's definitely like a super awesome fun time. And uh, I just had such a great experience, you know. I, I, I'm a huge sucker for these kinds of, like, team-based cooperative games. Uh, they, where, like, you know, with, like, strategy and stuff like that. And, and that are built a lot on kind of, you know, communicating energy levels, right? So that we need to make sure that, you know, the, the pilot gets enough energy to maneuver, but the weapons get enough energy to fire. You know, like, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought the individual mechanics were pretty compelling, too, like... Um, what are the five? There's the helm that drives the ship. There's the um, there's weapons which fires targets things and fires missiles. There's communications which kind of throws up probes, discovers what's happening, and kind of talks to different bases to get us resupplied. And uh, and science who kind of scans objects and figures out like uses the probes to figure out exactly what's happening in the galaxy and what we need to do. Um, 
and then there's a big screen with the kind of like the 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 porthole view in front of you and i and theoretically there's also a uh a six player who's the captain who doesn't actually do anything besides you know tell people what to do um but we didn't have one of those so we kind of used the helm as that kind of uh that kind of role but like it just like um i played helm and engineering but you played helm and and what was the other one i played comms and comms um and i think all the like maybe helms and engineering are like the most different but like i think they're all pretty different and like you get a really unique experience in each one you know driving the shit is fairly fairly self-explanatory but it is a lot of fun um playing engineering as as i put it is kind of like like stress with zero context everybody else kind of like gets to see a map and kind of sees what's going on and during just gets to lay out of the ship and sees like bars doing bad things no bar ever does a good thing you're just like <laughs> oh fuck the heat's going up what are you doing stop boosting we can't do this anymore like um that was that was pretty funny yeah it's one of those things where like i didn't have a very good sense for what was happening when it came to power right um you know there the, when, when you switched to helm we made a concentrated effort I think, to power the helm over, I guess, like, the weapons and shields or something. Um, because Mark uh, Mark wanted to make sure that you had those impulse thrusters kind of at full. Um, but, yeah, it is just uh, – it's really hard to de- kind of describe the actual mechanics. And I almost kind of think that just figuring it out is the best way to do yeah, that. Yeah, I think so I So I agree. kind of encourage people to, hey, listen, if that sounds awesome to you, please feel free Go download no, it. It's free. It's open source. It. It's free. It's open source. Make sure you obviously have like the right version of the game. Hit, hit us up, right? We, we'd love to. I would love to download this game and play it again, right? Yeah. We could do some. We could do some fan games of MTM right? Yeah. I um, so, um, the, I don't know if it works over the internet. The guy said it might. I don't know. I, I haven't actually played with the software directly myself. Just kind of talked to the guy who was running the event, which. I guess we were like I guess we were the most into it out of anybody because at the end of our adventure they spawned like a giant battleship for us to fight, and like it was like they they the, the GMs were having fun with us which was which was awesome, um, but like um, if you can get five of your friends you don't need touch screens touch screens make it a little bit like more intuitive make it feel a little bit more like Star Trek but you can do everything with the mouse, um in some ways I might have even preferred a mouse um because some of, some of the 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 tap detection was wasn't great on the older hardware on that we were using. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a grand old time. Get yourself a joystick. If you want to play helm. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, that joystick like made playing the helm for me, uh, for me as well. If I had, if I was trying to drive with, with, with QWERTY, I would have been much, much less, much less happy. Um, but yeah, that was empty epsilon. Um, moving on to Saturday. Saturday, what did we do? Ah, Saturday, we slept in a bit because, you know, we hadn't done that. Um, and we went, the big one is Pathfinder in space, I think. Right? Is that, is that fair? Yeah. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. Right. We got to the con. This is, this is another pro tip for Gen Con. Make sure you have your fucking badge before you leave the hotel. Oh my God. <laughs> you're right. Oh, Jesus Christ. I forgot that this was Saturday. Yeah. We got to the stupid con and Jimmy had forgotten his fucking badge. And so I had to drive all the way back to the hotel with Jimmy because I had the, you know, I was the guy that rent the car. Uh, and so nobody else could, uh, and so nobody else could drive the car or whatever. So I had to drive Jimmy all the way back to the fucking hotel, get his badge, drive him all the way back. We missed a bunch of sessions. Man, I was pissed about yeah, that. Yeah, fuck you, Jimmy. Uh, yeah, fuck you, Jimmy. 
<laughs> I really hope he listens to this. <laughs> I really, really hope he listens to that. Anyway, um, but yeah, so Pathfinder in Space, which was kind of like the big introductory Starfinder panel. Starfinder is the science fantasy, uh, is is what they call it, um, uh, system that, that Paizo is working on that is releasing in uh on on path on gen con 2017 um so yeah uh, i was not at that panel because i was fucking yeah i i was they released the six classes that they're gonna be there's like six or seven classes um their soldier which is kind of like a fighter with a focus on um the focus on styles like like heavy weapons or like smaller weapons there's operative which is Kind of like your skill monkey with a couple different archetypes, like either infiltrator or like sniper. There's mechanic, which is, um, uh, you know, he has either a robot pet or an AI in his head that lets him shoot better. He's good at mechanical stuff. Um, there's uh, envoy, which is the face. That's pretty much it. There's mystic, which is kind of like an oracle. It's the, the only divine caster in the system right now. Um, it channels energy in weird ways. Um, there's Technomancer, which was described as like a wizard who views magic as code. And um, of interest to me is that it's about the fusion of magic and technology, which is kind of cool because like Shadowrun just says magic and technology are kind of mutually exclusive. Um, and they have their own Technomancer. I, I think this will kind of actually mirror in some ways the kind of feel of the Technomancer in Shadowrun. I obviously don't know because I haven't played it at all. But that's kind of what they were describing. That's that's what it felt to me. Um, and the last class is the Solarian. And the Solarian, um, if you haven't heard us talk about the Tau, um, which is Mark's favorite third-party class, which is ridiculously overwritten, this sounds like it's going to be Space Tau, which is kind of like... <laughs> they said they said it, they said Solarian, and they talked about... Um, they, they talked about like how there was like these two different... like. They also kind of said it was like a Jedi, so there's like this like light and darkness, and there's a balance between the two, and you spend points and you balance it. And I looked at Mark, and Mark looked at me. I saw the biggest grin on his face, and he said he saw the most crestfallen look on my face. So you know, that's kind of what that is. Um, I'm excited for that game. What were some other juicy tidbits they they, they let out? Um, it's, it's kind of like a piece of the space combat system. Your your um, your kind of ship progression is separate from your character progression, so you don't have to worry so much about, um, you know, pick, like there are some classes that will lend themselves to different roles better, but you don't have to worry about like locking yourself into a particular combination. Um, there's, what was the other things that there were? Um, one of the big things is that this is a potential future of Galarian, um, and, or the Galarian setting. And one of the big things is that several hundred years before this, the, the you know, the, the start of the, the, the Starfinder timeline, Galarian disappears, and no one knows where it went. Like, to the point where, like, elves that live through it are fucked up in the head because they're like, I knew it was there, but I don't know what the fuck happened. Um, which I thought was really cool. There, right. There's a, uh, a station there, um, a space station, which I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's one of the names of, uh... Absalom. Uh, yeah, Absalom. It's an Absalom station. Apparently, it's got, like, a unique signature, so no matter how far out you get, it's really easy to go back to Absalom station, um, there is the, the solar system as detailed by the distant worlds, um, the, the, the distant worlds splat, and then it goes out further than that. Um, there are, I think six races, six core races, um, which are 
uh, there are humans, and then it's all either minor races that didn't get a full treatment in Pathfinder or completely new races. Um, and then there's also short conversions for all of, like, the core Pathfinder races for converting them into in, into uh, Starfinder characters, which are kind of, like, the big, crunchy bits I got out of it. Um, but it's very much going to be a game about exploring. Um, essentially, uh, the way they put it is that one of the guys wanted it to be very much, like, about planet exploration, about your typical Pathfinder-like um, sci-fi combat, and then I was like, no, it needs to be really about space combat, and the two kind of like married these together and made sure that there was a good balance there, so I'm really excited if the um, if the Starfinder preview, which, like Buddy said, we'll talk about in a later episode, is any indication, I think they're headed in the right direction. Um, it releases next year at Gen Con, so if you want to get in on that, go to Gen Con. I know we're going to be chomping at the bits to sign up for those events as soon as they drop, so we yep. can we can play some, some, some great old Starfinder um, but that was the big, the big, uh, the big takeaways from Pathfinder in space. Um, next event, um, did you do anything between uh, that and Rising Five, which is what I did? Uh, no, but uh, yeah, no, I didn't do anything. Okay, because we're, we're kind of getting to the point where like we didn't fill in everything, and we didn't we didn't bother updating our calendars with the things we planned to do that day. Um, so I played Rising Five, cooperative board game and playtest. Um, it's kind of like a game of mastermind with uh with with a timer and combat. And if that sounds weird, that's cuz it is. It's neat. Use an iPad app to kind of check your mastermind progress. It's a cooperative board game. Um it's uh it's 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 interesting, but there's like not a lot I think to go into. A lot of a lot of mastermind type deduction wrapped around some rules about um uh, you know, f- being trapped on a planet and trying to keep, like, if, if the if the mechanic is like the sun is falling or turning red, if it gets all the way red, then the game's over. Um, so you have to, like, raise the sun, um, which is, I'm not even joking. Um, but that was what that game was. Um, if Cooperative Space Mastermind sounds neat to you, give it a Google. That's the best I can I can tell you. Um, I'm not a big fan of cooperative games, so I don't think I can give it a really fair assessment. I thought it was cool for a cooperative game, but that's that, that's the best I'm going to do. Um, and then, did you go to Designing Adventures, uh, buddy? Yeah, I went to Designing Adventures, but it's just it was you know just another typical Paizo panel, really. Um, the other thing that we did that night was we played uh, Into uh, the Breach. Into the Breach, which is I you know. Like, I don't want to be, like, too negative, but it was, like, the worst thing that I played. Uh, see, I, I thought it was better than... Like, I, so, I'm going to be very clear here. I thought... I didn't think anything we did was bad. Um, I thought it was better than Matter of Empire, but I would think say it was on, like, kind of the lower half. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, I, I definitely wouldn't say that it's bad, but it really suffered from a lot of those, like, one-shot problems, right? Yeah. You know, you know a typical one-shot problem that I see people run into is... Uh, they do the, like, you're all in a tavern and get hired for this job kind of thing, right? And I get why that, why you do that, but I actually think it's the wrong approach for a one-shot. I think a one-shot should start with people already knowing. You know, a one-shot, really, you need to take a slice uh, into the action. And for a campaign, yeah, you know, like, I, I can bond with Arave over the course of our campaign, even though we all just kind of, like, randomly got together or whatever. Um, but 
for a one shot, you don't have that time. And I think by forcing the players to be kind of social with one another, you're always going to get more mileage out of that. Um, I also don't think that this system, this system was a card based system, which was cool, but I've played better card based systems. Um, the one thing I liked about this system is you had a hand of cards that you could use to cheat, uh, which is effectively, you know, you could, you know, everything was, um, you know, you draw the top of the 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 top card of the deck, and that's your you know quote unquote role from like an RNG perspective. But you can swap out that value for a value you hold in your hand, um, which I actually thought was a great system. Um, the specifically like the the cheatingness of it or whatever. Uh, but I don't know that I really liked the card system itself. Um. Yeah, so it's, I think my, my biggest problem with the system would be that, like, I, I do like the fact that, unlike a die system, you will have it, you know, you will have an approximate number of the same of uh, successes and failures, right? Like, it's all, like, something I thought was neat was that, you know, it's, the bad guys rarely ever roll against you. It's either you rolling to hit them or you rolling um, to defend against them. And right. because, because it's almost always the players drawing the cards, um... That means that, um, that like the players will have approximately the same number of successes and failures, or not successes, failures necessarily, but the same kind of like range of scores over the course of the deck, but for their hand, which I think is cool. But, um, uh, the uh, the the problem with it, I think, was that the skills are all one, two, or three, and so. When the cards are one to thirteen, there's a lot of swing that happens in the cards rather than in, um, kind of the. Also, the targets to hit seemed very high to me. Um, most of the targets were kind of at like a ten to, you know, ten twelve, ish range. Yeah, and that's rough. You know, like hitting hitting a, uh, the hitting those numbers. It's the those are those are fairly high um, DCs effectively. Yeah. Um, to hit. Um, I also think that um, the counting cards aspect is kind of neat, uh, but it also bugged me uh, a bit because it's one of those things where I really wanted to game the system, but I had to kind of force myself not to. There were a bunch of times where I just wanted to take a bunch of dumb actions that had no consequence just so I could get flips, right, so that we could cycle through the deck faster. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, that's a big weakness. That's a big, yeah. big, fat weakness. And the answer to that is the GM being like, stop being stupid, but I think I prefer a system that doesn't allow that kind of thing in the first place. Yeah. One thousand percent. That's uh, that's like my big gripe with the system. Um, um, I thought the setting was neat. I feel like I could have done a little bit more with it. Um, yeah, the setting was okay. The setting had a lot of like kind of like dishonored feel. Um, yeah, and uh, and I you know I I'm not kind of one of those people that like you know goes crazy about um, steampunk, right? But I get the appeal of it, and it is definitely appealing to me. So uh, if you are like a huge kind of like steampunk person, there's a lot to there's a lot to like about yeah. this kind of system. I, I kind of am, and my character had like a steam arm, and that was just like the oh boy, I got a steam arm! Like that instantly gave it credit in my book. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, um, the, the, and then on, oh, uh, I was just gonna say like, just kind of like to to go over one last thing for like one shot problems is that like, there's a point in that adventure where 
you do your job that you're supposed to do and you recover the, the, the money they were promised. And then you're kind of like, you find some train tickets and like, obviously the adventure is to go to where the train goes, but ultimately I don't think my character would have gotten on that train. He would have been like, well, I got paid and gone home. And oh I my God. I literally feel the exact same way. Um, and I, I, you know, in like a normal game, I might've made the GM sweat a little, like, like, you know, like the GM sweat a little bit and be like, why would I do this and refuse to kind of do it? Um, in some way, unless they're like, I would expect it to be better thing there, but I'm not going to do that. I don't one shot, especially at Gen Con. I'm not going to like be like, fuck you GM. Especially, oh, I, you know, I could definitely see myself doing that at, at a one shot, but our GM also wasn't super great. She was fine. Uh, yeah. but I, I think she was exhausted. You yeah. Know, I really felt yeah, like, yeah. because we were playing this game, uh, you know, later at night or whatever. Uh, she clearly worked for the company and I bet that she had been, you know, like manning the booth all day. Kind yeah. Of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I didn't really want to like, put her on the spot too much but that's something that like i i you know that that, that is almost kind of the same thing that i did during 7c right was i i had to uh uh you know i made a decision that wasn't kind of along the flow of the adventure path and the gm really had to respond um uh it wasn't just me i mean other people in our party did the exact same thing sure. so there is that yeah i also again i will say um in praise of 7c i think that it, the the kind of system is designed to handle that um, Definitely, yeah. Um, but yeah, the last thing we did was on Sunday, Buddy and I played a game called 13th Age, which if people at home aren't familiar, the writer from 3rd edition of D&D and the writer from 4th edition from D&D came together and made a baby that they called the 13th Age. Um, and uh, it's you could see a lot of the 4E the, the kind of inspiration there. There's a lot of at-will stuff. Um, there's a bunch of cool mechanic or things that I thought were cool. The world is designed to be very, very loose, um, and that like the players kind of help define it along the way. Um, like uh, the the I played a Forgeborn, which is definitely not Warforged um, cleric. <laughs> no way. <laughs> um, and I I asked the GM what was true about Forgeborn in this world, and his response is, "What is true about Forgeborn in this world?" Kind of putting it on me to kind of define whatever I wanted to, because there are some guidelines. There are some. Um, little pieces, um, like the one of the big mechanics are the 13 icons um, that you kind of have relationships with um, and some things that are true about the world in, in total. But, like, you can really fill in, like, a lot of... Like, those are kind of, like, broad plot points and you're encouraged to kind of fill in the details along the way. Like, even to the extent of, like, what is, like, the history of the Forgeborn type of, de- type of details, which seem very broad, but, like, kind of let you paint the story that you want to tell rather than being constrained by the lore and then buddy i know you had some thoughts on on that particular mechanic um i you know so i that mechanic worked wonders for me in a one-shot setting i thought that that was a really really neat way uh a great way to get people um that would otherwise be crunchy to get involved in like the theater of it um but i don't think that that is a very robust system when it comes to long form campaigning um I don't know. I like you know. I have to say, I actually liked this system a lot. Uh, I definitely liked it better than Into the Breach, and I almost want to say that, like, purely on a systemic level, uh, I like it better than uh, you know Seven C because like it does a lot of really clever things. I would say, um, but yeah, that you know, I, I, that that aspect 
does shoot it in the knees a little bit, especially for someone who's like, a, you know, a control freak about his campaigns like I do, right? Like, or like I am, right? It would, um, it would be rough for me to adopt a system where, you know, I didn't have, um, where like you know like where like I didn't have kind of control over that kind of lore stuff. Um, that, you know, that, that's a system that's not very, I don't know. I think you could do it in, a, in like almost a comedy setting or like, like in, a, in, you know, in like an improv kind of way to do it, um, or just a lighthearted way at the end of the day. But yeah. Yeah. Um, I, one of the players at the table was very clearly a big, big 13th age fan played a lot. And he said that the system is at its best when it's a little bit silly. Um, and I definitely believe that I think yep. like I ran a game in college based on legend system kind of. Like, the game didn't need to be this way, but just the people I was pl- running the game for, which were a bunch of people who never played D&D before and were just kind of there for kecks and to drink beers. Um, I would definitely run that system for them type of deal. Um, I think you can make a long-running campaign about it, but you have to accept that when those kinds of things happen, when, when you let that to happen, things like, like happen in my game, you get towns with the name Vagina Town instead of something serious. Um, right. And if you're okay with that, which I think with the right group it can be, the system shines, but, like, I think that, like, a super serious version of that game really needs the right group of people to to really play that well. Um, Yeah, yeah, I definitely... Also, that game, you know, that game was marred by, you know... We played with a couple of randos. The randos weren't great. Well, Uh, the the one guy was... I really liked uh, Sweetness. Yeah, okay. So the one guy, he was good, right? He was solid. He knew the system. Uh, he was very, like, he was, you know, he was really down to play. But we played with a father-son combo, and, like, you The know, kid was a shit. Just... The kid was a huge piece of shit. Uh, and the dad was okay. You know, he wasn't the end of the world. Um, but, like, I also did kind of, you know, he didn't seem all that uh, engaged with the system. Um so, yeah. but I like the GM a lot. I thought that GM yeah, yeah. was really, it was really great, really I solid. Agree. And I thought that the adventure was like very cool and interesting. It really captures a lot of like the like the really high fantasy kind of aspect that I love about Fourth Edition, where it's not like you know you're you're kind of like palling around the the slums like in uh, in Pathfinder until you get to kind of higher level. Like you start off and you can just chew through like a dozen mooks. Uh, kind of thing, and I love systems like that because I think that that's, uh, I think that that's a very rewarding way. Um, you know, it's a very rewarding way to kind of hit the ground running and keep like a, a level tone while playing. I, I agree. Um, just to kind of point out some other cool things about the system, um, instead of skill points, you write three aspects of your background and give them kind of a point value, and you argue why that would apply in this particular situation. Do you have a quick example? Um, I was doing a sense motive check on a or sense motive type check on a dwarf. Um, part of my background was is I was as a forge board, I was studied by the dwarves as a curiosity, um, and during that time I studied them as well, so I could tell dwarven ticks. Um, and so he gave me the bonus to it. Um, other thing is one unique thing. One unique thing is something that is unique to your character and all the world. Um, Yours was, I believe, like what you were a druid, and when you shapeshift, I was yeah, I was a druid. So every time I shapeshifted, I shapeshifted back. Um, you know, so like I turn into a buffalo, and then I shapeshift back into a human form ish. I was an elf, but whatever. Um, and I might still have right like horn, like horns from the buffalo kind of thing. And, um, and mine was, I am the only wooden forgeborn. 
um, because, you know, everything has to be about wood. Um, and I, I think that that really kind of, like, helps flesh out, makes your character feel heroic and special, which is something I've always said is one of the strengths of 4th edition. I think that, that kind of, like, got amplified a lot in, in this game. Um, and then the only other thing I wanted to mention was the montage, because I really actually love this. So we were walking from one place to another, and the GM's like, all right, it's time for a montage. And it's like, what? It's like, you just go around the circle. One person says a thing that, uh, a thing that, uh, an obstacle you encounter, and the next person kind of solves the problem. And I think this is what happened in our game, and I think this kind of like what naturally happens and is, is the system's good for, is that as we went around the circle, the challenges kind of got more and more ridiculous um, and culminated in some cool stuff. Like, I started, and I just kind of like, because there were a bunch of us new to the table, I very simply, we come to a gorge, and the rope bridge is cut. How do we fix it? And then, and then it's Buddy's turn because he was sitting next to me to solve the problem. Somebody you just climbed over and fixed the bridge, right? Yeah, like, yeah, I climbed over because one of my backgrounds was about movement through the forest kind of thing. Um, so. and, and then, and then yours was, was the army ants thing, which I think sweet, sweetness salt very, very cleverly. Do you, you want to? Yep. Yeah. I, I, I said that there was like a big thing of army ants, right? You know, like it's like, you know how in like Brazil or whatever, right? Like if you try and cross the army ants and they'll just like devour you or, you know, whatever. Right. It's, it was that kind of thing. And sweetness was like, oh, well I'm a soldier. So I just coach everybody and how to blend in with these army ants. And so we, uh, we, we stealthed our way through, which I thought was funny. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that whole segment was really fun, but, uh, I think it's also- yeah, the, the, you know, that's that's a cool system. Uh, it's a little, it's another one of those systems where I, you give a tiny bit of power to the players, um, and that might be able to backfire. But I could definitely see that you know make its way into Pathfinder without too much trouble uh, from it from a GM. Yeah, and then the thing about it is that like the start and the goal are already known, right? Like you will end up at like at, at like the at your destination at the end of the montage. Um, it's purely flavor. There's nothing the player is, is empowered to do to actually, like, screw with the story at that point. Right. right. Um, which, which I thought, but, but it encourages to kind of get into it, which I thought was really cool. Um, but yeah, I, did you want to say anything else about 13th Age? Nope. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm done. Yeah. That was our last event of Gen Con. We got in the car, drove all the way back to, uh, to Chicago. Um, also fun. Um, in, in a road trippy kind of sense. Also not fun in, in the same, pro, you know, car is crowded type sense. Um, and the only, the only quick tip I can give you for the end of that is make sure your fights all leave at about the same time. Ours. Yeah, that, that was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that worked for us. Yeah. Ours, the, the, between our first flight and our last flight, it was like a three hour or a two hour difference. Um, and at the end of the day, it wasn't a huge deal. Um, I think that's kind of the best that you're going to get. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways. So, Yeah. But uh, I think that about wraps up our Gen Con adventures. Anything else you wanted to talk about, buddy? Nope, I am uh, I am good to go. All right. Well, if you would like to watch us play some games, you can watch us on twitch.tv slash some derps play games. If you want to email us about your Gen Con experience or with questions about Gen Con, um, you can email us at some derps play games at gmail.com. You can follow us on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter, and all of those links will be in the description. Like, subscribe, rate, do all that cool stuff. Um, did you have anything you wanted to plug, buddy? No, uh, we are playing Hell's Rebels next week, but we, uh, you know, as we are recording this on the day that we normally play Hell's Rebels, yes, we are not playing, um, 
we're not playing this week, but you can tune in for that. We're also playing Rune Lords next week on uh, is, so Monday and Wednesday. Is that confirmed? Uh, what the Rune Lords? Uh, I, uh, yeah, I was pretty sure that. Was okay, Wait, so that so not confirmed? um, the GM lost his laptop and lost a lot of his data on it, so I don't know if he's going to be ready for Monday. Um, it might be confirmed. I might have just missed the message. Um. Uh, what he says in Fries of the Frost Lords, which is our Rune Lords chat, it, on which he said on Monday is Monday, but not today. So okay. I think he meant the next Monday. All right. Well, yeah. So look forward to that. Um, hopefully we'll have the next episode out on time. We were on time, then we promptly dropped the ball again. Um, so, you know, look out for our future episodes. Um, I think that's it. Until next time, dear listeners. Farewell, loyal listeners.